last two, three breaks. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. It is the Week 13 Wednesday show. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. The bye weeks are over. We have a full main slate for the first weekend in months. And on Thursday Night Football, we have a great game lined up. The NFC-leading New Orleans Saints at the rejuvenated and streaking Dallas Cowboys. On the Action Network app, we are having a free prop contest for the Thursday Night Football game. It is 100% free to enter in our app. And $1,000 in cash will go to the winner. So we are free rolling you the chance at $1,000. All you have to do is put your football knowledge to use and enter the contest. To enroll, go to myaction.app slash TNF13. That is myaction.app slash TN13, TNF as in uh, Thursday Night Football, and 1-3 as in it is week 13. Once again, myaction.app slash TNF13. I have an entry in that contest, as will the guys joining me on the pod. We have Ian Harditz, Peter Jennings, and Sean Corner. You can follow them in the Action Network app at iHarditz, CSURAM88, and the underscore oddsmaker. Ian is the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. Peter is a Fantasy Labs co-founder and two-time DFS world champion. And Sean is the Action Network director of predictive analytics and the number one in-season fantasy pros ranker for each of the past three seasons. Gentlemen, I could ask you questions about how great your Thanksgiving was and all the different pies that you ate, but uh, I don't really care. Let's just get into it. We're going to talk about right now the guys who are popping up in our pro models. Uh, we're going to think about some players we might fade, some games or teams we might want to stack. And we're going to, I don't know, make some bold calls or pseudo bold predictions or picks or prop bets, some, some things along those lines. As you are listening to the show, do us a favor, please rate and review the Action Network NFL podcast on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. And for all of our written content, go to the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. You can right now get our weekly fantasy rankings at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. Fellas, we have a 13-game main slate, lots of players to choose from. Uh, let's start with the guys who right now are standing out in our pro models. What do you think of these players? And I'd be curious to know if there are any other players right now who are catching your eye. Ian, I want to start with you. Let's start at the quarterback position. Right now, there are three primary quarterbacks who are kind of standing out. You have Cam Newton uh, at Tampa Bay. uh, And then on the other side of that matchup, you have Jameis Winston. uh, And then Russell Wilson uh, playing at home against the 49ers. What are your thoughts on any of those guys? Yeah, I think out of those three, Cam Newton's one that's catching my eye the most. He's uh, thrown multiple touchdown passes in every game since week one. So, you know, we're finally getting really a consistent passing ceiling to go along with probably the best rushing quarterback in NFL history. We saw last week when Devin Funches was out too, but there's just a lot more explosion on this Panthers offense than I think we're used to seeing with uh, DJ Moore really coming into his own. Curtis Samuel's finally healthy, doing a lot of uh, things that really made him a, a solid second-round pick out of Ohio State last year. And, I mean, this Buccaneers defense, they did a good job against Nick Mullins last week, I'm not ready to anoint them as anything other than trash. They're the fourth worst defense in average uh, DraftKings points. Allowed the quarterbacks this season. And I know it is Cam's uh, second division game. That's a trend we've seen pop up in the past as being negative. But have consistently seen Cam uh, thrive in November and December. And I think going back to his rushing ability, uh, you know, second division game, considering his rushing floor and the Buccaneers defense, I don't think it's a factor we need to worry about as much. 
really in terms of the salary scale, there isn't much separating these guys from each other. Uh, so it, it seems like cost considerations really aren't even all that important um, in, in this slate. It's more a matter of what guy you really think has the, the best chance of uh, providing uh, you know, value or hitting a particular type of upside range. Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on these guys? Yeah, it might be surprising, but I'm going to have to agree with our models on this one. I, I love Cam Newton this week. I think he extended his career high streak to 10 games where he's thrown for multiple touchdown passes. Um, he has a great matchup this week against the Buccaneers. Last week, I was starting to uh, – I lowered his rushing um, projections because we were we were a bit worried about his – he had a knee and ankle injury. You know, he blew out the door when he, he ran eight times for 63 rushing yards, I believe. So since we can bank on his rushing stats – uh, I just think he's an obvious um, cash game play this week against the Bucks. Uh, Pete, any uh, any thoughts on those guys or any other guys who have caught your eye? Yeah, I agree with Cam Newton. He'll probably end up being the, the cash game quarterback. Uh, one guy who's popping quite a bit for me, who is slightly cheaper than Cam, but Cam's obviously got a higher projection for me at this point, is Jared Goff. You know, going against Detroit, I think this is a really good matchup for him indoors. Detroit, the concern is they've been running the ball more, and now with Marvin Jones out, can they put up points and make this a fast-paced game? Because what we've really seen with Jared Goff is he excels more so at home and obviously in close games. So those are the, the downsides. But, yeah, Jared Goff and this offense, they're implied for a ton of points. I think he's someone else to consider. But for sure, the, the chalkiest and best option from an equity standpoint for me is Cam Newton. Yeah, it reminds me of the time uh, when we had Evan Silva on the show, I think about a month ago, and he was just like, all of the Panthers, give me all of the Panthers. And I mean, it was the same matchup going against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it seems we're in that spot. Again, uh, if you look at running backs who are popping in our models, Christian McCaffrey uh, is one of the guys who is really standing out. And then obviously, uh, Todd Gurley in that matchup at Detroit, and then Saquon Barkley as a guy who is just kind of doing everything as a runner, as a receiver, uh, basically the heart of that giant offense. Pete, you have any thoughts on, you know, out of the expensive guys who are popping in our models, what you might be looking to do? Christian McCaffrey, hands down, is the, the number one guy that I'm going to prioritize this week. I mean, just a ridiculous performance last week. And, you know, that's what we can expect. Uh, obviously not that same kind of performance, but uh, the versatility that he has, the involvement in the passing game. Uh, he's just a player that sets up perfectly on DraftKings and is the modern day NFL running back. So, He's the guy I'll prioritize uh, in cash. And then after that, I mean, you obviously have Todd Gurley, who's a great play. But the challenge this week with paying up for running back is we have insane value on the low end. So probably end up being a week where you play one stud running back and then take uh, some of these value running backs. There's a couple guys I think will end up being extremely highly owned with the way the news broke. So for me at the top, it's prioritizing McCaffrey, maybe fitting in Gurley, and then going down to these cheap running backs. Yeah, so a couple of cheaper guys who are standing out in our model, uh, Carlos Hyde and TJ Yeldon, uh, both obviously getting the bump because of the Leonard Fournette suspension. Uh, and then you have Lamar Miller getting something of kind of like the Monday night football bump with the production that he had. Uh, obviously, salaries were released before uh, he had that production. But those are the guys, cheaper side of things who are standing out in our model. Sean, do you have any thoughts on some of those cheaper guys? And then also, of course, any of the expensive guys? With Fournette likely suspended this week, uh, Carlos Hyde at 
3.3K. It seems like a free square. TJ Yeldon is $1,000 more, but, and you know, DK is full point PPR. So I think he makes a lot of sense. And the Jags, they've had a, a pretty busy week. Um, they, they lost Andrew Norwell for the season. They benched Blake Bortles. So, you know, we don't really know how this running back situation is going to shape out. So I'm going to probably try to divide my action evenly between Yeldon and Hyde. I think Hyde's ownership is going to be insane. So so I might try to be a little overweight on Yeldon. I think Pete made a great point. I think this week you're running back. Uh, you really want to save up um, and maybe only have like one stud and probably load up at wide receiver. I think the running back position uh, is going to be pretty – everyone's going to sort of funnel to the same guys. Uh, another guy that I can see uh, people gravitating to sort of in the mid-tier is Lamar Miller. You know, he's one of those guys that – was priced before Monday Night Football, and he had that huge game. So at 4,600, I think he's going to be pretty high owned in the middle tier, and rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, Ian, any thoughts on those guys? And then uh, the the trio at the top of Gurley, McCaffrey, and Barkley. Yeah, I was about to say, where's the love for Saquon Barkley? DraftKings sure isn't feeling him. I mean, he was 9,100 last week. Now he's 7,900. I mean, I know the Bears are nasty, but this is the first time since week six he's been under even 8,600 on DraftKings. I mean, I don't think Barkley has anything else left to prove. I mean, he's averaging 26 uh, DraftKings points per game. Gurley's at 27. They're the only two guys over 25. I mean, it's basically the Le'Veon, David Johnson, Team Jamamin thing in 2016 all over again. I mean, we got noodle-armed Eli feeding Saquon all the checkdowns he can handle. And I know it's a tough matchup for him against Chicago, but it's a tough matchup for him every single week behind this offensive line when he can bust these 80-yard touchdowns like they're apparently nothing. I mean, I think Barkley just has a high enough floor, and he's proven – uh, plenty capable of that if he's ever get a price discount against anyone I mean I'm gonna get some exposure there as for some of the cheaper guys I do think the Lamar Miller trend I mean we, we've seen this coming here for weeks now ever since Deshaun Watson just got the piss beat out of him in Dallas couldn't even fly to Jacksonville the next week he's had un- 25 or fewer passes in six straight games he only had 25 or fewer in two of his first 12 career games so I mean Texans have slowed things down to run the ball Alfred Blue is annoyingly involved so I, I don't hate that uh, pivot. I mean, you look, I think he had 13 carries Monday night. I know the game flow really worked in his favor, but that's been consistent. Dante Foreman is still, you know, on the sideline, not expecting him back this week. So, uh, you know, I'm fine attacking this Houston backfield now that it really is a run first team. All right, Pete, I want to kick it back to you. Your thoughts on some of the cheaper running backs on the slate and then uh, pivoting to wide receivers, any of the guys you might be looking to pay up for there? Yeah, I mean, I think Carlos Hyde's a free square in cash. I uh, definitely like the Yeldon call by Sean uh, in terms of pivots. A couple other guys, just real quick. I, I did want to talk about Saquon Barkley. I mean, this is a very, very tough matchup, but I agree he's underpriced. Uh, Ian, I guess a question for you, and then I'll, I'll continue on with the running backs. Do you prefer Saquon or Kareem Hunt versus Oakland? Uh, Kareem Hunt, 100 cheaper on DraftKings. I would, I think, have to go with Saquon just because I'm still worried about Hunt's uh, receiving floor with Spencer kind of being more involved. But I, I really don't see the $1,000 difference between any of those uh, top four guys, to be honest with you. I think Kareem's a little bit underpriced as well. That's the that's the tricky part uh, is trying to figure that out. I mean, the Chiefs are implied for over 35 points. So that's the, the, the feather in the cap for Hunt. But obviously, Saquon's been better. And right now, it looks like Sean has Saquon projected for more. So yeah, those guys are interesting. I do think Lamar Miller's uh, another play that's really intriguing. In the mid-tier, uh, the one other guy that I'm really interested in, especially in tournaments, is Aaron Jones going against this Arizona defense, which has been terrible versus running backs. Uh, he's so explosive. And 
the Packers, I mean, they're on their last leg. They really needed to win last week, but they essentially have to run the table, and they do get a dream spot here versus the Cardinals. So he's one other running back that I think is in consideration. And you guys hit on everything else. I mean, Hyde, Yeldon, Miller, those are the really cheap guys. And then Peyton Barber uh, had a pretty nice game last week. He's 3,700 if you wanted to uh, pivot to him. He's probably more of a tournament play. But uh, he's intriguing, still getting a lot of opportunities, 18 rush attempts last week. Uh, moving to receiver, there's a ton of guys I really love. I mean, the Rams guys in the mid-tier, uh, mid to high end are great. Devontae Adams in that same game, he should see some Patrick Peterson, but uh, he's just destroyed basically every elite corner he's gone against. Adam Thielen's nice. Kenny Galladay without uh, Marvin Jones is someone I want to for sure go after. DeAndre Hopkins coming uh, into a nice spot here versus Cleveland, so... It's a position that I definitely want to spend up on in a lot of spots or at least go into like that mid-tier. So that's why I'm really interested, at least right now, in paying down and running back for the most part. Yeah, so we have Adam Thielen and Devontae Adams is, you know, kind of two of the more expensive guys who are standing out in the models. Both of those guys have been targeted heavily throughout the season. A high floor there and also a high upside because of the target volume. And then Robert Woods, out of that uh, that group of Rams receivers, is the one right now who's standing out most in our models. Sean, any thoughts on what you would be looking to do at the receiver position? The wide receiver's position, I'm, I'm probably spending up on at least two guys on most of my teams. I love Adam Thielen this week. Uh, he's the slight leader in raw projections for me so far. And Julio Jones is sort of the Saquon Barkley treatment where, um, yes, it's a tougher matchup on paper, but you know he's pretty much matchup proof at this point. I believe it's six games in a row now of 100 plus receiving yards. Um, so, so I like him getting a little bit of the discount of the tough matchup. Between Cooks and Woods, I, I'm sort of split on them. Probably later in the week, I'll decide on which one I'm going to have. Uh, but right now, I have them essentially tied. Uh, and, you know, whoever that is, is going to be a great play at 7K. I think lower down for tournaments, a guy like David Moore could be an interesting pivot play. Um, he's the same price as Demaris Thomas, who I think people are going to gravitate towards after his two touchdown game um, and, and more likely might draw um, Richard Sherman. So he's going to be severely low owned, but um, you know, he's shown a ton of potential and just playing about half the snaps this year where um, he could still put up big numbers. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about Moore's matchup is that even though he will undoubtedly run some of his routes against Sherman, you know, they still move those guys around the formation in Seattle and other than Sherman, like that whole defense is just horrible uh, in pass coverage. I believe that right now they are uh, 32nd PFF's uh, overall coverage grade. So uh, still a, a pretty nice matchup there uh, for David Moore. Ian, out of the expensive guys and then uh, anyone else who catches your eye at the receiver position. Yeah, Sean touched on it briefly, but Julio Jones, man, 7,700. That's the cheapest since week one. Just look at what this guy's done really all season, but since that touchdown drop from hell where we couldn't stop talking about it, he's gone for 121 in a touchdown, 107 in a touchdown, 118 in a touchdown, and last week he fell off to only 147 scoreless yards. So he's just in a zone, and I mean, I, the Ravens do have a good defense, but Jimmy Smith hasn't been at his usual level, level of dominance, I think, this year. Uh, kind of coming back from all these heel and Achilles problems he's had kind of as he's getting up there in age. And again, they just they move him around enough that even if he isn't uh, the same red zone, you know, we've seen him have flashes in years past. He's not getting those opportunities, but still a spot where when he's this cheap, I'll take my chances. The cheap guy I like that uh, we haven't mentioned uh, specifically is Curtis Samuel. Uh, just, you know, Carolina Buccaneers, we're, we're trying to target this game. We've mentioned that, but assuming Devin Funches is still out with his back, I mean, he is a full-out starter. He played 54 of 59 snaps last Sunday, and that was with Torrey Smith back. So they're pretty, it seems like the Panthers are pretty much set on Samuel and Moore being two of their top three receivers. 
And I think Samuel, at least, uh, you know, versus Goblin, Moore, Aitman, I just think he's a better player. I think he's more explosive. Not a, not a huge target uh, floor, but I don't think these other guys have a, a bigger one. And then also, you're, you're at least getting a rush attempt or two per game, almost like a Tyree kill factor. So I'll take my chances on Samuel this week. Yeah, Ian, there you mentioned Godwin and Marcel Aitman. Uh, I would like to get Sean's thoughts on projecting those players. Godwin is someone who, you know, isn't getting a lot of targets, uh, but is getting targeted near the end zone. So, uh, you know, a decent situation there at least, and he's playing in a high-scoring game. And then Aitman, I mean, it's hard to really trust anyone in that Oakland offense, uh, but he is getting targets. He is a big guy. He could be in a very, you know, pass-heavy game script going against a Kansas secondary that is still somewhat exploitable at this point in the season. Do you have any thoughts on those guys, Sean? Um, Aitman, yeah, he, he makes sense as a tournament play, but my projections for him, you know, aren't high enough to really warrant too much exposure. Uh, there's a lot of guys under 4K that I think he can target this week. Um, in terms of Godwin, it's the Buccaneers are always tricky. I think Adam Humphreys' presence sort of hinders Godwin a little bit. And, you know, they still have Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson and Cam Brait. So, um, you know, even Jaquiz Rogers. Um, I think Godwin just sort of gets lost in the shuffle. But, yeah, for tournaments, you know, at 3,900, he's definitely worth a flyer. Um, he could, you know, have a multi-touchdown game or something. But you kind of need that because he's not getting the targets yeah. Um, to put up any sort of consistent production. Pete, uh, I want to kick it back to you. Are there any uh, other kind of cheaper wide receivers who are catching your eye? Well, I got to shout out one other guy real quick that's not cheap, but you have to have exposure in tournaments. Tyree Kill, uh, this is <laughs> someone you just need to have. Uh, the road splits are ridiculous. Oakland's given up. And, you know, in a, a game where, you know, the Chiefs coming off a bye. Andy Reid's been incredible in that situation. Like Tyree Kill, this could be a three-touchdown game, even like maybe in the first half. So, you know, for me, he's someone I'm prioritizing in tournaments in a big way. On the cheaper side, you guys said on a lot of the guys that I'm really looking at. One other guy I guess we could talk a little bit about is Demarius Thomas coming off a really good game. I still think he's kind of at the, the tail end of his career. Um, he'll probably get a, a decent contract after this, but doesn't seem like the explosive receiver he initially was in Denver. But he gets great uh, opportunity opportunity playing the opposite side of the field is DeAndre Hopkins who the defense is going to focus on so especially against Cleveland uh you know number two re receivers have done well against them I think he's in consideration you guys really hit on the ones that I'm really looking at uh, we'll see what happens with this Carolina Panther situation Bruce Ellington Adam Humphreys Moore those are all the the kind of cheap guys I'm looking at but for me I'll probably be living in this mid-tier to high end uh, with the cheap running backs that we have on this slate and Pete, to your point about Tyree Kill, uh, I believe that uh, in our rankings at Action Network that just came out today, Sean, I think you have Tyree Kill ranked as the number one receiver in uh, non-PPR formats. Is that right? Yes, I believe so. I have no idea how they're going to stop Tyreek. I mean, he's just absolutely absurd. And I just feel like this is the spot the Chiefs could go bananas, just throwing the ball down the field and try to even save their starters like for the majority of the second half. But... That's a, that's an ambitious call. I do think that Tyreek has a chance to have a historic game, though. Yeah. yeah, he's. I mean, he's so expensive, though. He's you know one k more than Thielen. So yes, uh, you know he's number one in my non PPR rankings. But you know when when you factor in one point for PPR, you get guys like Thielen or Julio to pass them up in my DK projections. Yeah. He has a lower, lower floor than normal, too, given that, you know, this game turns into a blowout where it's Kelsey, Hunt, anyone else, St. Watkins coming back. Like, there's, there's scenarios where he fails. I just think his upside is as high as ever. 
you guys remember uh, the same situation last year? Chiefs coming off a bye at the Giants, ultimate smash spot, final score nine to twelve. I mean, it, it's, it seems impossible for this to fail, but I don't know. I mean, that was Alex Smith, right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will take over 12 points, and I will lay uh, big odds. Uh, uh, Pete, you mentioned uh, Kelsey there. Let's transition to tight ends. Obviously, going against a defense that is just horrible, and they are especially horrible against tight ends. Uh, I believe right now Oakland is 32nd in pass defense, DVOA, uh, against the position. Uh, and then George Kittle is someone who is also popping in our models, getting a lot of target volume, uh, but coming off a game where, in which he wasn't super productive. But those are the two kind of expensive guys who are standing out in our models. Uh, do you have a sense of what you might be looking to do at the tight end position? I don't know if I'm going to be playing Kelsey this week in cash. I mean, it's a lot to pay, and there's some really nice cheap options. Right now, for sure, the top guy in terms of just points per dollar in my model is Matt Lacoste for Denver, which uh, sounds a little gross, but at bare minimum price on DraftKings, 2500 coming up a game where he got 12 points. I mean, obviously, it's only four targets, and he got a touchdown. I do think his involvement is going to be higher uh, going forward. So he's someone I'm looking at as a pure punt. In the mid-range, Eric Ebron, now, you know, no Doyle uh, going forward forward he's been a touchdown machine all season uh jacksonville is just clearly mailing it in so ebron to me in the mid-tier uh he's really high in my model as well uh and then you have a couple other plays that i think are intriguing you know greg olson against tampa bay if you want to sack him with cam newton i have no problem with that you reference george kittle uh, you still have Breit uh with howard out that uh, is a nice play so tight end there's uh more options than i can remember most weeks obviously we don't have teams on by but uh i'm intrigued by you know all the way down at lacoste to all the way up at kelsey and there's tons of options in between uh right now on my model though it's lacoste ebron and kelsey as the top three guys curious kind of where everyone else comes in on this position yeah i don't know if anyone really uses the term uh stone minimum anymore <laughs> you know the levitan coined a, a couple of seasons ago but that that's where lacoste is he is he's right there at the minimum uh so definitely someone intriguing going against the cincinnati Bengals defense which has been horrible and specifically horrible against tight ends so a, a good situation for him and we've seen uh you know other tight ends in denver like hireman was he was getting the volume he was getting targeted volume before the injury so if all of that shifts to lacoste he could be someone who is really intriguing yeah you said it man i mean hireman was there uh still is their leader in targets inside the 10 and 20 yard line this year so he's been their uh red zone factor and i think uh i mean Cortland sutton's got all the talent in the world but i don't think he's really ready to be that intermediate guy that demarius thomas has been for them so having a tight end uh, you know we've seen hireman do it and we saw lacoste start to do it in those last two quarters last week just having a tight end to be in those kind of small window areas uh, intermediate areas and the red zone good thing to have I think the one guy I'm kind of targeting in tournaments uh, assuming Ebron's going to kind of be the chalk with all the injuries there in Indy I mean if Hewitt Ali Cox and uh, Eric Swoop are out again too we could be looking at uh, you know insane ownership for Ebron but I like uh, kind of moving right across to David Njoku uh, we've seen Houston really get smashed by tight ends all season. Each of uh, Gronk, Hireman, Jordan Reed, and Jonu Smith have gone for at least 60 yards and a touchdown against Houston. They're 28th DBOA against tight ends. I'm pretty interested to see what this Cleveland offense can finally do in a tough matchup. They've been playing great lately. They've been doing it against the Falcons. Uh, 
Falcons, Chiefs, and finally we're going to see them at Houston. But I think getting the Joku more involved uh, should be a goal of theirs now that we've kind of seen uh, that maybe forcing uh, 15 targets a game to Jarvis Landry isn't the best way uh, to kind of control Baker Mayfield. So just getting off some of that exposure to someone like Njoku that has a legitimate upside at the tight end position is uh, one move I'll be trying to make. Sean, you have thoughts about uh, tight end position, what you're going to be doing there? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lined up with Pete. I think, uh, you know, Eric Ebron and Matt Kloss are my two top guys. And then Greg Olson is a potential pivot play from Ebron. But, you know, when it comes to Lacoste, one of the interesting things I found was he's actually had a reception in all eight games he's played this year. That might not sound like much, but when we're dealing with min price tight ends, it's actually uh, pretty good. You know, he's pretty consistent. And with Hireman on the IR, he should double his snaps. So I think that, you know, his ceiling is pretty high in this game. So um, I'm interested to see what his um, ownership's going to be. But uh, boy, if you if you can save up at tight end this week uh, and, you know, possibly fit in two to three uh, top receivers, I think that's going to be the way to go. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit about some of the expensive players or, you know, potentially popular players that we are thinking we might want to avoid this week. Obviously, you know, this could change based on ownership projections and things like that. But uh, Pete, I want to kick it to you. Are there any any players that right now you're just kind of looking at and you're thinking, you know what, I might want to stay away from that guy? And this, this part of the show is always hard. Like last week, <laughs> I said Christian McCaffrey uh, on the show. And then later on, he was like my <laughs> conviction play. So um, <laughs> this is this is a part of the, seg- the show that I just am, have been struggling with all year, trying to like get creative on like the chalk that seems like they're going to fail. So I'll talk about a, a spot that I think has tremendous upside, but there are ways that this goes down in a bad way. I'm looking at the Rams in particular. I still love Jared Goff. I love these receivers. But Detroit can play really slow and without Marvin Jones and just kind of the way their team's playing right now this could be a spot where the Rams defense gets a touchdown Gurley coming off a you know not a very productive game uh, and that you know just historic amazing game that we saw on Monday Night Football maybe it's a, a game where Gurley scores two or three touchdowns defense gets a touchdown and they don't really need to use Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks uh, and Jared Goff has a, a disappointing game so uh, I think there's that's a polarizing spot I could see all of them go off in the right scenario but in the wrong scenario that passing game could do poorly so uh, it's not a something I have conviction on but uh, it's one of those spots where there's a, a wide range of outcomes and something to be cognizant of. The guys I might try to avoid a little bit in GPPs are the the Chiefs passing guys. Uh, so like Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, you know, all three are, you know, top at each position in my raw projections. But I think their ceiling could be lower than people think. And that's, that's ultimately what we're paying up for in GPPs for these guys. Uh, when it comes to the Raiders, they've only allowed one 300-yard passing game this year. And seven of the 11 QBs they face have thrown for less than 240 yards. Not likely due to their stout pass defense, but just, you know, the blowout potential. Um, so I think these KC guys, um, you know, they have the touchdown potential, but I, I don't think they're going to run up the score. Uh, we saw, you know, how they played the Cardinals a couple weeks ago. They could disappoint a little bit. Um, having said that, I think a guy like Kareem Hunt could be an interesting pivot play um, if, if you're fading all three of these guys on a certain team. Uh, you know, if he busts for a couple long touchdown runs to start the game, it's going to lower the ceiling of these other guys. So I, I might be going out of my way to kind of fade these guys this week. I am not eyeing DeAndre Hopkins this week. I uh, mentioned it before, but just it's 
Houston's becoming this run-first offense, and we're, we're seeing this wear, uh, wear on the DeAndre Hopkins a little bit. And in addition to that, I just don't know if Hopkins and Watson in general have this same sky-high ceiling without Will Fuller uh, drawing attention away on every single play. Uh, Pete mentioned earlier, but Demarius Thomas, I mean, he's helpful, but he's not that same field stretcher and kind of guy that's going to demand the defense's attention every single play. And accordingly now, we've seen Hopkins play 10 games without Fuller over the last two seasons. He's been held under 100 yards in eight of those 10 games. He only has four total touchdowns to show for it. So the Browns have the number two defense in pass DVOA. I mean, they've been solid there. Uh, they've been they've really mixed it up with how they cover uh, number ones. They've had Denzel Ward uh, shadow sometimes, TJ Carey, others. They even moved Demarius Randall uh, to cornerback one week. So not quite sure how they're going to do it, but they've been pretty successful uh, locking up number ones this year. When Houston just really doesn't have another option, uh, you know, with all due respect to Demarius uh, Thomas's great career, I don't think there's another option they really need to worry about uh, as nearly as much as DeAndre. So just don't think he has that uh, GPP winning upside. Yeah, Ian, to your point, you know, people might think that the split that really would determine the success for Hopkins over the last couple of seasons would be, is Deshaun Watson in or is he not? But Hopkins has been productive basically across that split. The split that really matters for him has been whether Will Fuller is in the game, um, just because he opens up a lot uh, for the other players in that offense. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're not seeing the, the same production out of Hopkins since Fuller went out of the lineup. Let's talk about the games that are standing out. Uh, of course, you can see these in our live odds page at the Action Network. Obviously, there are three really high-scoring games on the slate. Uh, Panthers at Bucks that has a uh, over-under 56. Chiefs at Raiders, 55. And then Rams at Lions, 54 and a half. I'm assuming that, you know, we are all interested in those games. A lot of the players we've talked about are the guys in those games. Are there any other games, uh, kind of less obvious games that you might be looking to stack that you can sort of expect some enhanced fantasy goodness uh, out of those matchups? Uh, Pete, let's start with you. One in particular that I think is, is we haven't really talked much about is this Colts-Jacksonville game. So Ebron is going to end up being chalky. We, we know that. But T.Y. Hilton is not going to get much love. And yeah, Jalen Ramsey's on the other side. But this defense has really mailed it in. And the nice thing, without Leonard Fournette, we saw this earlier, the Jaguars were playing up in pace. Now, it's a different quarterback situation. Uh, there's a lot of you know turmoil within the organization. But this turns into like a T.J. Yeldon game where uh, they're throwing the ball a lot more. We know the Colts are going to play with pace. Marlon Mack is doubtful. So... If this is a spot where Naheem Hines and Yeldon are on the field a lot, uh, there could be a lot of plays in this game. So that's that's one spot that I think is sneaky. I mean, you hit on the games I really want to stack up, but that's the one game just from a pace perspective that is interesting. And, you know, the pace stats for the Jaguars, like I just alluded to, uh, have been kind of all over the place. But without Leonard Fournette, um, I think it's a, a spot where we could see a lot more plays. So curious your guys' thoughts on that game and some other games you think are are good to stack. Probably the top game I'm going to stack is the, the Rams-Lions. We haven't mentioned yet, but Theoretic could be, you know, in a smash spot if Kerryon Johnson is ruled out again. You know, especially with, you know, Golden Tate and uh, Marvin Jones gone, you know, he's almost like their second receiver. So I could see him playing a big part. Um, in comeback mode against the Rams. So I think that game offers the most stacking potential. Uh, the more under-the-radar game um, that might offer some uh, good game stacks is the Ravens-Falcons game, uh, especially if Lamar Jackson's QB. Um, you kind of have to get creative when you know stacking with Lamar Jackson. You don't want to waste a wide receiver slot, so I could see potentially stacking him with one of the rookie uh, tight ends like Mark Andrews or Hayden Hurst and just try to get a cheap touchdown there. 
Um, but but I love Lamar Jackson's upside against this Falcons defense at the Dome and then, you know, send it back with Julio or Calvin Ridley. So I think this game might be an underappreciated stack. Uh, the, the total's approaching 50, so uh, this could be uh, a good shootout. I mean, it's possible. I mean, Pete, do you think you even have to stack in terms of his own team with Lamar Jackson? Or are you, would you be fine with rolling him out naked and then game stacking on the other side? Oh, yeah. I mean, 100% I'm comfortable going Lamar Jackson by himself. Uh, you know, we saw one rushing touchdown last week. We didn't really see – I think he didn't score the week before we had, where he had all the rush attempts but went for over 100 yards. I mean, when everything comes together and Lamar Jackson, you know, is running the ball a lot – and scoring touchdowns, I mean, you could see just a monster game. I mean, Lamar Jackson could have a 100-plus yard rushing game with two touchdowns. Uh, I do think they're trying to be a little bit more conservative with him to avoid injury, but uh, the upside is absolutely still there. So I have no problem uh, going Jackson by himself and then stacking up the other side. I mean, Julio Jones is incredible. Um, I've been a Tevin Coleman truther all year, and that's been very disappointing. But I have no problem going with Ridley. I have no problem going Hooper, who's going to be very low-owned in this matchup, especially with Ebron, just a little bit more expensive. And even Greg Olson, who will garner ownership in the Cam Newton stacks. So I have no problem with the, that, that, that mold. And, um, yeah, Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's a running back, and essentially. And what have we been doing all year against Atlanta? targeting running backs so I have no problem with it um what do you think Ian I can't bag us up the stats but I mean Lamar Jackson on turf in a dome I mean he's just gotta be faster right I mean he's already just fourth in the entire league among quarterbacks and rushing yards I know he had these sub packages uh, before the season but I mean it's it's truly just unique and I mean I think as Pete said we've seen the Falcons just trouble I mean have all this trouble defending running backs and it's kind of carried over to rushing quarterbacks I mean they're a bottom eight defense uh, against quarterbacks and uh, rushing yards and touchdowns, which makes sense, you know, when they're kind of built to sit back, it's going to open up uh, kind of more seams up the middle that you can kind of exploit withdrawals. The one other game I want to look at a little bit is uh, Vikings at the Patriots. I think anytime we have two quarterbacks this good playing each other, I mean, there's always a chance for a shootout with that. Xavier Rhodes has a quote, very, very minor hamstring injury, according to Mike Zimmer, but we've obviously seen uh, the Vikings have some interesting injury comments early in the week and doesn't always turn out to be the case on Sunday expecting the Vikings Patriots to have the single highest pace of the week uh, just in front of that in the Jacksonville game so I think there could be a lot of plays and you know there's just a lot of options here Uh, we saw Gronk come back last week score a touchdown had a couple other end zone chances so Vikings side of the ball and Patriots I think there's a lot of guys that could potentially go off here yeah, uh, that, that's an interesting one. That, and that's a game we haven't talked about at all. But, you know, two offenses that could definitely put up some points. Uh, let's talk about our, you know, favorite, I don't know what we're calling this section, like the pseudo bold, non-obvious picks. Uh, one has to do with the game. One has to do with uh, fantasy. Pete, let's kick it to you. This week in terms of a game, uh, one one thing I think is just so interesting is this Denver Bronco team. Now, listen, I'm biased. I just saw Shelby Harris uh, and he had the game-winning interception. And they're favored. But I have to go out and say the Broncos are going to win by multiple touchdowns. How are they going to do it? They're going to do it with Cortland Sutton and my man, Emmanuel Sanders and Lacoste. I'm saying that right now, I think that we see a career game from Case Keenum. My boy, Cortland Sutton, finally gets a big game. Lacoste scores a touchdown. And Emmanuel Sanders scores a touchdown for hashtag Team Sex. So the whole whammy, all the bias, all the Broncos. I hope you guys think that's sufficiently bold. Yeah, I think that is, and I, that probably uh, encapsulates your fantasy call as well. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, we haven't yeah. hit on all those any of those guys really except the cost, but that's yeah. my fantasy bold call. Is Keenum throws four touchdowns somehow? 
Yeah, that's that's sufficiently bold. Uh, Sean, what you got? So for real life, uh, I, I have the Lions making this game closer than we think. Uh, I would definitely take them plus 10, 10 and a half right now. My initial power ratings has, has this being closer to a touchdown. Uh, so I think they, they keep it close. I, I'm not going to go bold enough to say they'll beat the Rams, but I'll say the Rams win by a field goal. And then for DFS, I'm going with Cream Hunt being the top running back on the main slate for all the reasons I, I laid out in my pivot call. Ian, what you got? I think the Vikings going to Foxborough and getting an outright victory. Uh, this offense looks a lot better with a healthy Dalvin Cook in there. And, I mean, the defense low-key was not very good to start this year for the first month or two, but they've really kind of started to come around. I believe, I mean, Josh McDaniel said today, best third-down defense in the league by far. Definitely very good situationally. I mean, they've played the Rams, Saints, and Bears very tight this year. I just think they can put things together finally and squeak one out against the Pats and my bold DFS play. I'm with Pete on the Denver call, but I'm looking at the run game, man. This is Philip Lindsay's week. He's going to be a top five overall RB on the slate. Devontae Booker only had six snaps last week. Finally, we got Booker out of the picture, but Lindsay outtouched Freeman 14 to six though. I mean, we're looking at legit kind of RB1 usage potentially moving forward. I mean, Broncos, I don't really think they have a shot at the playoffs but they're still in contention it makes sense for them to feed uh their best players and lindsey has been that guy this year throwing the Bengals 32nd in points per game allowed they're a bottom five defense against rbs really quitting i mean I don't, they haven't been able to cover rbs all season so i just think Lindsay's speed is going to be a lot of problems and, and a potential uh you know big time win there he could have more than enough touches to handle so give me Lindsay and give me the vikings and uh as you said that i could just see sean uh mentally uh, recalibrating his uh, rushing yardage prop that he's going to give us later on Lindsay. He bumped it up probably at least seven yards based on that. Real quick, I want to just ask Sean another question because I've been, you know, first glance, I'm struggling a little bit with this Lions game, but it makes me very excited to hear that you are bullish on the Lions keeping this game close. Uh, I'm hopeful the Rams can put a lot of points on the board and it's spread out between all these great options. What what gives you optimism about this Lions team? I just think it's, it's going to be a bit of a trap game. Uh, uh, I don't really have many good things to say about the Lions, but, uh, you know, I think Stafford can get together and keep it close enough. And, yeah, ultimately, you know, with this call, I'm thinking that it helps elevate the ceiling of all, you know, the Rams passing attack. So um, I'm looking at it from that perspective for sure that the Lions offense will be able to keep it, you know, close enough where they just won't mail it in the rest of the way. I'm just thinking about this Rams defensive line versus Lions offensive line and thinking there might be a lot of sacks. But the way to mitigate that, get the ball quick, get it out to Theo Riddick, and exactly. that works for uh, Galladay uh, getting some big passes down the road too. Okay, for my bold call for a game, uh, the Browns are on the road as six-and-a-half-point dogs. I think they get the outright win. Uh, their offense is really rounding into form. Their defense has some playmakers. And the Texans are on the flukiest eight-game winning streak in NFL history. Like, they face backup quarterbacks. They've won a number of close games, some in overtime. I just – I don't buy what that team is selling. I want to bet against them at every opportunity. Uh, and then my bold call for fantasy is that Aaron, jo- Aaron Jones finishes the week as the number one scoring running back. Uh, and fantasy's got a lot of backfield work now. He's very talented, uh, big home favorite. The Cardinals have allowed the most fantasy points in the league to opposing backfields. So uh, I'm going to be all over a number of his props, uh, which brings us, of course, to the prop betting segment of the show. Uh, Sean sets lines for us and we lose because Sean is good. Uh, his projections power the Fantasy Labs models as well as our props tools, uh, which 
which aggregates the uh, player props from online sports books, compares them to Sean's projections, and shows which bets provide the most value. The season, the props with a bet quality of 10 are 196, 91, and 9, good for a hit rate of 66%. Be sure to check out the props tool at Fantasy Labs for subscribers only. Sean, what props do you have for us this week? So kicking us off at quarterback, I'm going to have to go with Jeff Driscoll's DK points. Um, <laughs> I'm going to just throw it out there, and you guys are going to help me figure this out. I think with, with him, he has some sneaky upside with his, with his rushing potential, so I want to hear your thoughts. But uh, right now I have the line set at 14.5. Goes against my bold call, but I'll say over. I think the rushing upside for him is really, really sneaky and correlated with my, my prop. If there's some sneaky garbage time, uh, I think he gets there. He was really efficient in garbage time uh, in this last game. Yeah, I'll take the over there as well. I mean, like Sean said, two rushing touchdowns on a six rush attempts this season. I believe uh, Driscoll is, you know, one of the last quarterbacks Urban Meyer recruited at Florida back in the day. So definitely has that dual threat ability. And I mean, we've seen Denver just not really be the same defense away from home. So even if the Bengals uh, are pretty much injured across the board, Driscoll running around can maybe get, get Boyd a touchdown or two. If AJ Green returns, that's even better. So I'll take the over. Yeah, I'll take the over as well. And for me, it is tied to like the the twin pillars of like uh, garbage time and rushing ability. I think that that's how he'll get there. Not that he's actually a, a good quarterback, although I don't know, maybe maybe he is. But I think it'll be sort of like the, the Blake Portals-esque type of like getting his yardage at the end of the game and being good enough as a runner to uh, to get over. Is it what was the line again? Was it like 14, 14 and, and a half? half? Yeah, I think yep. I think you get over that. Next up, um, Patrick Mahomes passing yards. Like I mentioned earlier, the Raiders have only allowed one 300-yard passer this year. It's more about, you know, just them being horrible than them playing good pass defense. So uh, right now I have him doing it, though. So my line for him is 302 and a half. I'll take the over. I mean, we can look at the other side of things and say that only two defenses have held Mahomes under 300 yards. So, uh, you know, it's – what a very movable force is meaning an unstoppable object. But uh, yeah, I think Mahomes can get it done. I'll you go over to go? You'll, you'll go over? Yeah. I'm torn. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm torn on this too because the, the games in which he hasn't gone over, uh, like Arizona, like they're a team, I feel like it's the same type of thing where you can just run on Arizona. I'll, I'll take the under. I think it's going to be close. I think that's a pretty good line. I think that's a great line. If he goes over, he could go over in a big way, but – it's probably smarter to go under the more I think about it. Probably <laughs> goes under more often. It's like a mean median situation. Oh, I t- yeah, it totally is. It's going to be interesting to see what books flood out there, but I'm looking to hammer that under. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'm, I'm, I'm changing to under. They've held some good quarterbacks to some pretty low numbers, and, um, you know, I, I think he could end up throwing like 260, but for like, you know, three or four touchdowns. The, the MVP thing, the only other narrative here, uh, just not to go too much into it, but – Drew Brees is kind of taking the the lead now as MVP, where Mahomes looked like a slam dunk there for a stretch. Uh, those two clearly, I'd be shocked if it's not one of those two that wins it. And I know Andy Reid is cognizant mm-hmm. of that as well. Yeah, he's definitely going to throw for multiple touchdowns. I think they're they're going to force it in the red zone. But yeah, just you know, keeping the foot on the gas against the Raiders doesn't really make sense. So so we'll see. So next up, Lamar Jackson rushing yards at Atlanta. Right now I have it at over under uh, 73 and a half. Under. I really want to take this over. I'll go under. A question for you guys, though. Um, can you stack Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards this, this week? I mean, we saw Gus get 23 rush attempts. I mean, it seems like both these guys are pretty much guaranteed all these touches. And if you're not – I mean, none of the receivers have anywhere close to the same touch projection as Gus. So, 
we've seen running backs kill Atlanta all season. Just, I mean, why, why not put them both in there? Yeah, they kind of limit each other's ceiling, right? Um, yeah. I, I mean, like, yeah, especially with Atlanta, we'd, we'd want like a pass catching back. So maybe like Ty Montgomery or something like that. But yeah, it's interesting, you know, with Gus, I think they both have to combine for like three or four touchdowns for that to work. Ian, do we have any sort of update on uh, Deion Jones, the middle linebacker for the Falcons? He's a, yeah, that's they, a good question. Yeah, they act they activated him off uh, IR before the Cowboys game. Like he's been practicing. They just apparently don't think he's at a hundred percent yet. But it's just there's not a clear update for this Sunday. No. Right. Yeah. He's um, part of their future, right? Like they should sit him and yeah. just. I mean, they're done. I mean, I don't know if I'm the Falcons, they have incentive to lose now. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm going to take the over. How many rush attempts? That's the question. Yeah. Right now. Um, I have a Temley set at 14, it looks like. Yeah, 26 and 11. I, he didn't really get – he was – I mean, they went a while without him really running last game. Um, that was the concern. And then, obviously, he got going in the second half. But, like, this Flacco injury must be real serious. Ian, any update there? He still hasn't even returned to practice yet. I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like he hasn't even been particularly close these last few weeks. And uh, Har- Harbaugh's kind of been dodging the questions anyway. So, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they just stick with Lamar even when Flacco is, is ready to go. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm reading the tea leaves and just watching how they use them. I mean, if they're confident that Flacco would be coming back, I feel like they'd be letting Lamar run even more. It seems to me that they're – last week at least, they seemed a little cautious with them. All right, so moving on to running back, uh, Philip Lindsay rushing yards. Uh, since we have a Broncos fan and now I know Ian's hand, um, I'm going to try to find the right number here. But uh, I'm going to offer 76.5 rushing yards. Over. Easy yeah, over. I got- I got to stay over in my call. Definitely over. I'm going to take the under just to try to fade these two and, and knowing that you're inflating the line a little bit. But I think that's a pretty good line. Last week, um, I, I floated 4.85 for his yards per carry. And I, I thought I was going to get more action on the um, uh, over, which you guys did. And then he uh, ended up getting a 7.9 clips. So I'm done trying to, you know, push regression onto this guy. So, so I'm all in on him. <laughs> just as a as a random side note i have to say like uh i think it's it's awesome what is happening like i think he's a cool story and i think it's one of the the cool instances of seeing uh talent quickly win out in the nfl like normally you'll have a situation where like a guy is highly drafted and a team just kind of like uh insist upon using him over a guy who is clearly more talented but Lindsay was super productive in college uh, a great athlete and it's it's awesome to see him get the opportunity to be the lead back even though he's not like the the prototypical lead back size so like a cool all-around story with him yeah he's living with his parents still I mean and he's just <laughs> dominating in the NFL I mean that's about as cool as it gets um, shout out to him I mean obviously the the paycheck for him is not very high as an undrafted uh, player so hopefully he can stay healthy and, and get a big paycheck at some point uh, next up Carlos Hyde, um, total rushing yards this week at home against Indy. Uh, right now I have his projection at 59 and a half. Under. Yeah, I'll take the under there as well. I'm not sure if people are expecting him to kind of one-for-one replace Fournette, but I think this is going to look a lot like last year when Fournette was out and they had Chris Ivory as that early down guy. And in those uh, three games where Fournette missed last year, Ivory played 35 snaps per game. Yeldon was at 29, so – I mean, almost, you know, a pretty much 50-50 uh, split, two-back two committee. So, I'll take the under. 
I think there's so much potential for him uh, either to get game scripted out of this anyway, or just not to see the the snap share that we think he's going to see, even if they are still in the game. So uh, for me, it, it's a pretty easy under. Yeah, I'm taking under. When Friedman says under that quickly, it's a lock. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the classic mean median spot, like he could have a huge game, but like you just said, there's so many scenarios where he gets game scripted out. Maybe they, you know, are really effective at passing the football and they want to use Yeldon. I mean, there's a lot of downside scenarios where he goes under. So I, I like the under for sure. There is a, obviously a situation where I think he plays great and goes for, you know, a hundred plus yards. We'll probably have him in DFS. So we capture that mean. And uh, I, I love the under in this one. All right, so next up, going off the main slate real quick, uh, have to have an Austin Eckler prop this week with uh, Melvin Gordon on the shelf. His total rush receiving yards at Pittsburgh, over under 87 and a half. Over. I'm just trying to figure out if he's going to be really like the only running back guy or how much uh, work Justin Jackson is going to get. You know, we saw last week it was a little more split in a 45-10 blowout, but Back in, uh, I believe it was week seven, that London game that Gordon missed, I mean, Eckler played 42 of 44 snaps, 95%. So there's a real legit chance, I think, he's just their full-on featured running back this week if Gordon's out. So give me the over. In in true DFS logic form, he had his worst game in terms of efficiency week seven, of course. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm taking the over as well. This is a huge game, a massive game for playoff implications. And I think the Chargers will try to leverage – the better player, which I, I do believe is Eckler. Um, Jackson's obviously, you know, got some talent, but uh, at this point in his career, I think Eckler uh, is the guy that they want to highlight here. Sean, what was the line one more time? 87 and a half. 87 and a half. I'll take the over. I think it's a good line. I, I mean, I think he could get there through either efficiency or just sheer volume. And, and based on the usage, uh, when he started in week seven in London, uh, I think we will probably see him be the guy. So yeah, I'll take the over. All right, so moving on to wide receiver, uh, I feel like I would prop for this guy every week for various reasons, but Tyler Boyd receiving yards with Jeff Driscoll under center at home against Denver, so I don't know if, he, if he's going to match up against Chris Harris. I don't really know A.J. Green's status quite yet, but I, I doubt they force him in there with their seasons rolling down the drain. So uh, right now I have his over-under at 62.5 receiving yards. Under. Under. Interesting. You guys are yelling under. He's cleared that in each of these last three games. I think I'm with I'm with it, though. I'll take the under. Uh, not too much word on A.J. Green. Marvin Lewis came Green would be returned to practice on Thursday, and of course he didn't. So uh, not sure if that was maybe a setback or what the issue is. But, yeah, I mean, if, if Green's not out there, I just don't think Boyd's the type of receiver that can uh, just, you know, if he's getting the extra target volume, he's not necessarily going to turn into massive performance, which is what we've kind of seen. So, especially against a goat slot cornerback, Chris Harris Jr., I'll take the under. Yeah, best corner in the league, Chris Harris Jr., who shut down a lot of great players. I mean, come on, uh, under. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, Cortland Sutton. Uh, I keep projecting for over. Him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I keep projecting I, for the breakout. I'm all in. I can't stop. Totally a patented Pete. Uh, You know, the mean is always higher than the median situation. So I'm throwing out 51 and a half. It's a clear under, but I'm saying over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm taking the under here. I mean, you're based, it's just got, he's got to hit some of these big plays. I don't think he's getting enough uh, 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 intermediate volume otherwise. So I'll take the under. Yeah, I'm still bullish on him long term, but I'm going to take the under here. He has been egregious this year <laughs> he got unlucky and now he's just playing he played bad last game he yep. truly was not good 
Um, that's I think that's an easy under, but I'm I'm going over because I'm a sucker and I love Cortland Sutton. All right. Um, I mentioned earlier, this is basically my cash game question of the week is who will score more DK points um, at Detroit, Brandon Cooks or Robert Woods? I'll take Woods. I think you're right there with me. Yes, sir. Uh, Woods definitely. In three games without Cooper Cup, both Cooks and Woods have 25 targets. Uh, dead even. And then when we're projecting Darius Slay to be on Cooks, I'll take my chances with Woods versus uh, the always burnable Nevin Lawson in the slot. Yeah, it's, it's it's Woods for me as well, but uh, higher ceiling, give me Cooks. I think Woods will be more popular too, so I think Cooks is the clear GPP play. But maybe maybe that's kind of that trend people are aware of now. But yeah, the one the one really big positive for Cooks is splits indoors are ridiculous. Moving on to tight end, um, we've talked about him quite a bit so far. Uh, Matt Lacoste, total receiving yards at home against the Bengals. I feel like I've had a Bronco every single pro- position so far. Um, over under. 35 and a half receiving yards. I know you just moved that up. Uh, I, I moved it down <laughs> a little bit. Really? <laughs> thinking about it, yeah. I mean, I feel that's wrong, but um, the Bengals just, I mean, they hemorrhage yardage to the tight end position. Only the Bucks have allowed more yards to tight ends this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go the over. Over, obviously. I think it's a good line. I'll take uh, the under. I'm more infatuated with Lacoste's touchdown upside, I think, than his uh, receiving yardage upside. Greg Olson, receiving yards at Tampa Bay. Uh, I think he's a pretty critical tight end this week, you know, being the same price as Ebron. Um, And Olson, you know, he's total 20 yards the past two games, but he gets a smash spot matchup at Tampa Bay. So I think his projection this week is critical. Um, Right now I have his receiving yards at over under 41 and a half. Over. Uh, Yeah, I'll go over because of matchup. I do wonder just, I mean, is Olson, what is he now? He's 33 years old, cleared 60 yards once this season. Maybe uh, this is kind of the new uh, older age Greg Olson. It doesn't have the same upside with these extra weapons they have. But yeah, 40 seems a little low. Of all the players on the slate at tight end, he seems like the most likely guy to get hurt during the game, and I hate to say something like that, but he's he's a guy who just dealt with so many injuries. Um, Anytime you have foot problems, it makes me nervous. The encouraging thing for Greg Olson, he's played the majority of the snaps, 56-58 versus the Lions, 58-59 versus the Seahawks. So that's encouraging, so I'll take the over, but, man, I hope he can stay healthy. He's going to be the GOAT commentator. Uh, Replace Jason Witt with Greg Olson, please. Greg Olson <laughs> All right, so last but not least, Eric Ebron, Millie Maker ownership percentage. I'm not really good at these, so you guys will probably hammer it one way or the other, but I'm setting the line at 30. Under. I think I'm going to go over. We saw Kittle at 28.5% last week, and I think uh, Ebron's much cheaper and set up a little bit better as Smash, so I'll take, I'll take the slide over. I will – man, that's – that's tough. I'll go. I'll go under just because I think Lacoste will probably soak up a lot of the ownership. But yeah, that's. I, I think Ebron is. I mean, I think he has sort of like that sweet spot of massive upside with like a, a salary that isn't super inflated. So I, I could see how he gets a lot of ownership too. Yeah, I think thirty uh, percent. It's going to be pretty close. I have a lot of conviction on this one. I think it's it's definitely going to be under. I do think Ebron will be popular, but like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, there's so many tight ends that are really in play this week. I mean, we talked about Lacoste, Ebron. There's Kelsey at the top. Kittle's still nice. Greg Olson. Austin Hooper might get a couple of plays if people are stacking that game. You still have Cameron Braid, David Njoku, 
Rob Gronkowski scored a touchdown last week. So it's just a position where there's a lot of options. And the main reason I have conviction, almost all of these like high-end pros that are multi-entering with 150 lineups, they have gotten so into fading the chalk, especially at this position that I, I think it's under. Do you think with, with you know, the potential at tight end, this is a good week to be contrarian, sort of, you know, forcing a tight end at flex? I could, I, lo- I used to do that all the time. I think this is the first week where I really will consider it. I mean, think about how much you yeah. can do if you play. You know, the, the problem is there's great running backs. But, yeah, I mean, fading like a Carlos Hyde and playing two tight ends, that could make a lot of sense. Yeah, that's what I think that might elevate his uh, percent just slightly. That's interesting. I think one thing that would also maybe drive it down relative to the context of what we've had the last couple of months, it's just that there are no more bye weeks. So there are just more options for players. So like if we're kind of thinking of the ecosystem of the last uh, few slates, few main slates, there have just been a lot fewer tight ends. So uh, ownership just tends to be skewed a little bit more. One last thing, I forgot to mention this, and it's probably the most important factor. The Millionaire Maker this week is a $100 buy-in. So a lot of sharps in there. And yeah, if you go through these lineups of the guys who are putting in 150 lineups consistently, they are fading the chalk very often. So that's we'll see. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the pod for all of our upcoming episodes. For Peter Jennings, Sean Corner, and Ian Harditz, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. Oracle. See you again next episode.